This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer, and today we have a very special guest in Adam Schwartz. How you doing, Adam? Fantastic, sir. Thank you. Excellent. So Adam is a formal financial advisor, was a financial advisor for over 20 years, and now he is director of for the American Cancer Society. Correct. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So Adam, I've known for a very long time. He, he was been in the business since I think you got licensed in 1998 yes, uh, was when you got licensed. And then you actually came, you hopped around a few different spots and you ended up in, in Bank Atlantic where you worked for a few years. And then that got bought by Truist. And then you ended up in Chase for about eight years before retiring in 2021. And not maybe, we won't call it a retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a break in life. A break in life uh, situation. So, yeah. So I met Adam at an interesting time because I was in the bank channel. I grew up in the bank channel. I was 25 years old when I started in the bank channel. And you came in kind of some bank experience, but like only I think a year prior, like when, when it was when Washington Mutual. And I had been, said it was 19. What year was it that we were talking about? We now you, can't, you came in 2008. Yeah, so no, I had already been in the business for probably about eight years or so. Yeah. Uh, but but only maybe a handful or so in the banking channel prior. Yeah, and what's interesting about Bank Atlantic where we were was it was completely open architecture. Like you weren't given two or three branches, you were given eight to 10 branches. Uh, and there was a time period where I had like 30. I think you, you there was a time period, yeah, you, I think you had taken over like half of Broward and we split Broward. Was that, was, am I remember? I didn't remember that till just now. Yeah, I remember actually during the interview process, I was asked if I wanted North or South. I said North, and so I was all ready to go, and then he goes, just so you know, Evan wants North, you're gonna have South. <laughs> right. Well, it was fair. I had like 20, I, I think there was 27 branches in Broward, something like that, yeah, so. Yeah, interesting time, and it felt like we worked together for a long time. But but then I was looking back, and you started in '08, and and we I was gone by 2012, so it was only about three or four years. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So why did you get in the business? Tell us a little about your history in the business prior to meeting at Bank Atlantic, and then kind of your experiences at Bank Atlantic, and then you went to Chase, and you were at Chase for eight years. I got a lot of questions about Chase. Because normally the, the people that are at Chase tend to stay at Chase. Yeah. So you don't get to hear too much about how those experiences are. Tell us a little bit about your history in the business. So when I was in college, I changed majors a lot, everybody else, and, and wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. So I came home, took a couple of years off, and then realized that I really had a, a hunger for investment world. So the excitement of the market and all that, I was all about it. And so, but I didn't need my degree. I chose to go back because I didn't want to leave that unfinished. So went back, got my degree, came back and worked for a small firm with some friends. Uh, sound problem, sorry. Yeah, just go real close to yeah, it. Yeah, so, so then I was at what's now UBS, was Payne Weber, went through their training for a little bit and then found Wachovia, which was like the old Wachovia. Yeah. Went to, like you said, a couple different banks, then found Bank Atlantic, stayed there for a good five years or so and loved it. Probably would have stayed there uh, if it hadn't been for that merger. Uh, and then I just decided I didn't want to, you know, stick with BB and T at the time. So I found chase and was there for, like you said, eight, almost nine years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was interesting was I remember when the merger took place, I actually got a call and I think it was Jeff that called or I called him and I got a call. I think I called him. I don't think he knew yet. Mm -hmm. It was like seven 30 in the morning, something like that. If you remember the bank used to open up at crazy early hours, what what was it like seven, 
7 a.m. Seven, seven, seven to seven, so, yeah. so, something like that. I think some branches were open 24 hours. At one point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was funny if you were covering one of those branches. I, I think there was one time where I had an appointment south, like on 17th Street was, I think, one of those branches. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have an appointment for you at 9 o'clock at night. I'm like, <laughs> different world, d different world. But what was interesting about that takeover was I remember Joe Hage and was going to be the manager there. You Did you end up working under Joe for a little bit? For about five minutes. For about five minutes, yeah. 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 So I was even less because he, he said, like, look, if, if you want to work with people that have at least 250000 or more in assets, you probably shouldn't stay is basically what he said in more or less words, which is smart because that was – you don't go into the business with the idea that I only want to work with people that are very poor. Agreed. Even though you want to help people out, it's at the end of the day, profitability-wise, that's a little tough. What was it like working for Jeff and then that switch to Joe? How long were – how? Like, was it a month or two? Yeah, I mean, if even that. It was Got basically it. like reconnect because I had met him prior, uh, former life. And so when he took over there, again, I was already in process of, of getting the JP Morgan job. And oh, you were? Yeah, yeah. So when we went up to training, I was just waiting for my answer. And while I was up there, I got my yes. So I finished training. I came back and I gave my notice. And then you gave your notice. Yeah, Bring so, this real close. Yeah, yeah real close. Yeah. Just because it's it's coming in and out, and I no, don't want it to affect the audio. Yep, yep. So, so, so it was quick. So it was yeah. very short-lived. Yeah. Now, Chase is interesting. And the reason it's interesting to me was there was a chance I almost went to Chase. Mm -hmm. So at the time, there was another advisor at Bank Atlantic that I left with, and we went shopping to different firms, and we ended up at SunTrust. But prior to joining uh, SunTrust, Chase was after us, and Chase had this new program. And so you must have been, I think we moved in in March of 2012. Mm -hmm. You must have been April of 2012, or? Uh, you're testing my memory. Yeah. I'm an old guy now. Yeah. But, uh, but probably around there, yes. yeah. Yeah. And the deal there was you got a good salary. It was mm -hmm. like a good starting salary for the first few years. Yeah. But then the reason that kind of I didn't end up going with it was it, it felt like I was going to be doing a lot of proprietary investment allocations. And I that wasn't, my, I guess, my goal at the time. My goal at the time was to grow a fee-based practice. And I felt like if I was only doing proprietary, God forbid I ever left, it would be a disaster. Yeah, you can't transfer. You can't, or it's, or it's hard, I'm guessing. Right, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like why you chose Chase and then what your history was like there, because that I'm very interested in. Yeah, I mean, it's a great organization, obviously. I mean, and for me, you know, one of the major things, if I was going to be offering investment vehicles, is to offer something that was familiar to people. Mm -hmm. Because obviously there's a bunch of different reasons why people would say no, right? Mm -hmm. So name recognition is one thing that kind of helps you get your foot in the door. Yep. So so I like that all about it. I like the, the, the history of the company, the you know strength, all that good stuff. Uh, especially after everything that had gone in the market, a company that size behind you made people feel more at ease after the 08 stuff and all that, whatever. Yeah. So so that was that. But you're right. They were offering a nice salary and it was a guarantee. And I was newly married at the time. And it just seemed like a smart, stable, safe move to make. So, yeah, that was that's how that started. And so, the one thing about I, I think what Jamie Dimon's done a great job of there is making everything in house and making it very easy to get comfortable there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, did you feel like what during that eight years? Did you feel pretty comfortable? Yeah, truth is that if I didn't go through the life stuff that I did, that ended up making me kind of leave the business, I would never have left there. Okay. Um, because you're right. I mean, the infrastructure, the, the, the stability, the name, the, all of it, I would have had no reason to ever leave. 
And so, yeah, I would have stayed there for the rest of my career for sure. And when you were sitting there with clients and was there ever a time that clients went to you and said like, this is the JP Morgan stuff. Do you offer anything outside of that? Did you used to get that? Yeah. So, so they do definitely say encourage you to use proprietary kind of product and that yeah. kind of stuff, but they had a good enough array that you could kind of stick within it. Yeah. I mean, there were absolutely people that were like, like you said, I'm sitting in JP Morgan, you're offering me JP Morgan. Like, that's cute. What else do you have? Yeah. And we had other options, whatever, whether it was funds or annuities or other products, whatever that weren't JP Morgan. But especially because in this industry, I mean, people, including JP or companies, I should say, including JP Morgan had issues with their legal issues for yep. know, pushing too much proprietary. And what I have learned in the last few years is that there is a private wealth division of that, that does give financial advisors a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Is that very separate from the Chase Bank side? Do they let you guys kind of intermingle? Do, they, do you know about each other or is that very separate? It's almost a competitive thing because if somebody comes and sits in front of you and you're allowed to handle up to whatever that number was, 10 million or whatever, and somebody's got 20 million, the last thing that you want to do is go hand it off to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, it's almost insulting. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of commingling, so to speak, with, with that. It was almost a little more competitive, but... I, anytime that ever happened, I just fight for it. Cause I mean, if I make the connection and I've got the, the relationship, then that, that client's sticking with me. So tell me a little bit about the elephant in the room. You said you went through some life-changing things. Yeah. What made you leave the business? When did you decide like I'm done? Yeah. So in about a two and a half year period, I lost my mom. I lost my dad. I got divorced. And then one month after that COVID started. So it was enough to already be going through all of that. But now I'm at home. My kids can't go to school. We can't leave the house without masks, whatever. The market's crashing. My clients are calling. And JP Morgan had this rule that your clients couldn't have your cell phone number. Really? Yeah. Okay. So there was an app that they had to use to call on your cell phone. Okay. But in my house, there was only signal in like one side and not in the other. So I'm at home. My kids are going through whatever I'm going through my emotional, whatever, and my clients are calling and I have to go from the bedroom to the living room to take, it was just, it was a lot. Got it. So after all of that, I took some FMO. I needed some time just to kind of regroup and get myself together. Okay. Um, and that's how that kind of started. And you had mentioned like, it's impossible to take your book. I'm going to guess it's not impossible, but like, what do they make you sign there? That's maybe different. Is it just non-solicit? Yeah. stuff or and i mean and just like i do i mean there's kind of ways that you can get through that and whatever i mean obviously yeah. you're not gonna there was a guy that sent a letter and an acat form and like everything from his new firm to the other people using jp morgan's fedex account wow not very bright yeah not bright no no uh, so if they have your phone number and they call and this and that yeah so i mean it's doable but in terms of product yeah i mean unless they can be broken down and sold piece by piece, it becomes a little complicated. So. Yeah, moving those accounts over that you're in proprietary funds and some of those funds cannot be ACAT. Exactly, exactly. So that, and then there's tax implications if they have to sell it to move over unless it's IRA or whatever. So that could be complicated too. Did, was there any part of you that before walking away said like, let me take some clients with me, let me go somewhere with this for now? Yeah, not really. Because really what made me make the change officially was during that time while I was just kind of breathing and regrouping, I was dating somebody and she said to me, she said, listen, this is like a transitional kind of time in your life. She said, you're great at what you do. You've been doing it a long time. You can make money and be successful and be proud of what you do. But I don't think it's your calling. Mm -hmm. She said, 
take this time and figure out what your real purpose is and then maybe look to make a change. So as I was sort of going through that process, no part of me thought staying or going back. It was, where do I go now? It's funny you say that because there was times in our conversations in 08, 09, 2010, 11, where, where I knew you didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't love it. You liked it and you were good at it and you made a good living at it and you got to help people, but it wasn't a passion. And so I knew it then, but I didn't say anything then. Cause why would I, who am I to say anything? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Especially when you have the other territory. It's yeah. like, Hey, this isn't your passion. You should go. Yeah. So, but it, it's interesting. So how long have you been with American Cancer Society? Just earlier this year in May. Okay. Yeah. During from 21 through then, did you not do anything or were you somewhere or? Yeah. So I went through a couple different phases. So okay. there was a period of time where I just took my time to breathe and Take walks around my neighborhood listening to music and take care of my kids. Yeah. Just kind of just disconnect. Yeah. Then I started really wanting to do more. And so I got involved in a couple of different things. One was actually right after the George Floyd incident. So I was at home one night. It was by myself. I was just thinking about what had gone on and I was angry about it. I just, I don't think any kind of mistreatment of anybody is ever justifiable. And I had heard the story just too many times. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm just like, being racist is so stupid. Like, I just don't understand conceptually how somebody can walk in a room and you have an opinion about that person Mm -hmm. if you've never met them. So I started thinking about it and I thought, being racist is stupid sounds kind of catchy. I said, I wonder if it is trademarked. So it was not. So then I trademarked it. Then I found a, a former friend actually from Bank Atlantic. He had worked somewhere in John Saunders. I don't know if you if you knew him or whatever. I, names not familiar. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. Uh, had an up-and-coming digital business, whatever, and he put together a website. He put together a logo. He put together a bunch of different things for me. So I made a bunch of merch, so to speak, and had shirts and all kinds of stuff. And I, I had made YouTube videos and talking about how maybe we could make a change and uh, we could make it better and easier, more fair for all. Yeah. So I thought that there weren't enough white voices saying that they didn't like what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be one. Yeah. So I did that for some time. I went to UF where I went to school and walked all around the campus and were like talking to people and handing out stuff. And I brought my kids up there and just so they could see it all and did the same on the FAU campus. The problem with that was that I just didn't ever figure out a way to really turn it into a business and monetize it. And I think the reason was it was something that I felt really strongly about, like in my heart. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if I tried to turn it into something where I made money, it felt disingenuous. And I didn't want to be looked at like I was exploiting something instead of just really trying to help. Yeah. So it was kind of a weird space. And so I kind of let it, let it slide a little. And then I started, I got involved with the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance okay. uh, with the mayor of Coral Springs. Became real good friends with him and started fundraising for them and creating events, things of that nature. Was on the board and making some decisions all together about where we were going to go, what we were going to do. Yeah. But then reality was it was time to get a big boy job again. And, and so that's when- Got to pay the bills at some point. Correct, correct. <laughs> and especially when funds are depleting. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously I was able to do this for a little bit of time because my parents left me some money. Yeah. So, but the market was a little less than kind for a little while and the deductions were, became larger. And so it was just time to be, you know, real with myself. So you've been here since what, beginning of the year, basically? Uh, no, May. since May, yeah. 
And what's your primary? I mean, obviously, raising money is the primary objective. Yeah. But what what's your day to day look like in the new position? Yeah. So each day is a little bit different because so I am given sort of a portfolio of, of donors that have contributed in the past. So the initial part of my job really is to stay connected with them, make sure that they're aware of the things that we have going on, that they hear from us, they see us, that kind of thing, so that they don't forget about us, so that they can continue to help us on our mission to end cancer as we know it for everyone. That's the primary goal. Absolutely. I have taken it a little bit different because, you know me, I'm not going to just do like stay inside of the small box. Yeah. So I am trying to create my own events. So I'm actually working on one right now called Gators Chomping Cancer. Um, went to UF, as I said. And so trying to get former players, current players, if possible, former coaches, current ones, if they're available at an event where I'll have donors that are obviously like Gator fans and a researcher from Shans, the hospital at UF mm-hmm. that's researching cancer so that they can be privy to some of the research that we have going on, some of the developments we have going on, feel kind of uh, like they're part of it. And then in addition, meet some of the players and the coaches. Interesting. Interesting. And when you reached out to me, you had brought something up and I thought it was a subject that we haven't broached on the show enough. And I use them a lot with clients and that's called donor advised funds. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you educate people on those and the benefits of them. So what's funny is that when I was an advisor, a lot of the, the firms are always saying, oh, use donor advised funds. And I really didn't know much about them at the time. And, and not until I got to the American Cancer Society did I really know more. So really, I mean, my role is to educate advisors or even like foundations and things of that nature about some of the things that we have going on so that they'll choose the American Cancer Society to allocate some of those funds that are in there. Yeah. And so yeah, I've made some connections with community foundations, sitting here with you, just trying to connect with people on their donor advised funds, but then also their end of year donations, because as I'm sure a lot of your clients, like this time of year, they start looking for opportunities to invest in a mission of some sort that they care for. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And for advisors out there, just digging in a little bit on donor advised funds, two things. They provide an alleyway for a whole bunch of things. One, you do get a deduction, which is always nice. You get a tax deduction by adding. You can add cash, but you can also add appreciated investments. So if you have appreciated stock, hypothetically, somebody bought AMD or NVIDIA that's skyrocketed, right? They bought it for $5,000 and it's worth 70000 and they want to donate 20000 of that. They won't have to pay the gain on that. And that entire 20000 would be a personal deduction for the, the person that is investing in the donor advised fund. We actually do offer them at Ray J and have, Ray J has their own fund. And the nice thing is that you can invest that money aggressively or conservatively as you see fit. And then whenever you're ready that you want to donate to a, a charity. So for instance, you meet Adam and you go, I want to be on this mission to fight cancer. You can go and say, all right, well, I want to donate 10,000 tomorrow. Uh, using my donor advised fund money to do so. And so it gives you a lot of flexibility to be able to invest in things that you care about, but at the same time, get a great tax deduction. And like I said, appreciated stock, or you can even use appreciated mutual funds, things like that to not pay those taxes, reduce your exposure, still donate and do something great for charity, but not have to just donate it to one charity at one time. Even though we want it all to go to the American Cancer Society, we can piecemeal that out a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, it really is a win-win because you're right. I mean, you get a tax deduction, but you also really get to feel good about helping a good cause. And as you said, yes, it would be a delight for all the dollars to go to American Cancer Society. But I'm very aware that there's a lot of really good organizations out there doing great work. 
When I was trying to decide what I was going to do, I was going to be one of three things. Cancer was one because that's what I lost my mom to. Alzheimer's was the other because that's what I lost my dad to. And anything with kids because I just adore my kids and I love being there for them and, and giving them what, like the, what an ideal father is really supposed to provide. And I know a lot of people don't have that. So it would be one of those three. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, to end with American Cancer Society. When I was in college, a couple of professors had said to me, like, cancer is not something that can ever end because it's an overactive cell situation, but it's how we can treat it to kill it. Is that pretty accurate from what you've learned in, in, in your period of time there? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like you said, I, you would think with all the millions and millions of dollars that have been spent on research, it would be a great dream to think that we could just end it entirely now, maybe someday. But it does. It sort of metamorphosizes, I guess, whatever, for lack of a better term. And, and it changes. So there isn't, it's like a moving target. So yeah, I mean, it's cells are always changing. So, and there's so many different types. For instance, the one that my mom had, it was aggressive and rare. Mm -hmm. So there's not anywhere near as much research being done on the ones that don't affect as many people or whatever. Yeah. And so, and obviously there's more research done on some kinds than others, but, but that's actually one other thing about us that I love is that before I started with American Cancer Society, I knew that they did research. I mean, I think anybody that knows that they exist knows that one of the primary focuses is ending cancer as we know it for everyone. That being said, though, there are a ton of programs that we have that are available for patients and caregivers. And when people donate, they don't have to just donate to the general mission, so to speak. They can donate very specifically. So my mom passed from ovarian cancer. If I wanted my donated dollars to go to researching ovarian cancer, I can specifically restrict it to go to that. Oh, so like in, in, in my donation, if I use my donor advised fund, I could go in there and say, I want it for the American Cancer Society, but I can notate that I want this for ovarian cancer and that money will specifically be used for that. Absolutely. And, and in addition, it could be for services. So we have something that I love, like I, I love telling the story, it's called PAUSE and it's pets assisting with something that starts with an S. And basically they, they get these dogs, they train them, they bring them to hospitals for children that are being treated with cancer. Mm -hmm. So it's just a beautiful program. And you just imagine like if your, your child, your son, your daughter, whatever is in the hospital dealing with this, the smile on their face when they see this beautiful dog come in and, and just like that connection between them. So just again, just one, one little minor thing. We have rides called Road to Recovery. Somebody is unable to get to their treatment. They can get a ride from American Cancer Society. And one of the things that's really special and beautiful, we have something called a Hope Lodge. So located near some of the major cancer centers, so like MD Anderson in Houston and Moffitt in Tampa, mm -hmm. they have these Hope Lodges that are like walking distance away. And American Cancer Society puts some of the funds that are donated into these Hope Lodges so people can stay there for free if they don't have the money to travel for their care or stay over or whatever it is. So. There's a ton of different things that we're doing helping other than just find a cure. That's excellent. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so obviously advisors out there, please feel free to donate American Cancer Society. By the way, we'll leave your contact information at the end of the show. Yeah. So just switching corners back to, to advising because this, this show is yeah. geared towards that. What are some of the things that made you successful as an advisor? And what would you advise newer advisors to focus on as they get into the business? 
So my answer is probably going to be different than most because I know that you and I always had a very different approach. You were very focused on the actual stuff, the meat and potatoes, the the products, the market, the like all of that, like a student of the game, so to speak. And with me, it was all about relationships. And again, I knew some product and you have, you're great at relationships, but that was my primary focus Yeah, is connect with the people, make them trust you because they can. I mean, because obviously they can tell in a, mill, in a millisecond if they can't, but just be genuine, connect with people. And I think that's why I was able to get the position I am in now without any real prior experience, because it's all the same. You're connecting with people, developing relationships and trust and getting people to decide that whatever it is you're proposing or suggesting makes sense for them. So that's what I would do more than anything is listen to what everyone's telling you. Take notes. Don't. I mean, I had a client once. It was funny. He came to me and the only reason I got the account is he had like, I don't remember the exact number. Let's say it was a million three total in his account. Like a million one was Apple stock. And like everybody he had ever gone to said he was stupid. He should sell it and get out. And he told me that. So when I sat with him for the first time, I said, listen, you know that you're allocated. Like it's obscene, the percentage. And it's just not a normal situation that you would consider that healthy. Yeah. But I hear you and it's your money. So we do whatever you want and let's talk about the other money. So I got that account and we're friends to this day. And that was 10 years ago or more. And meanwhile, he's tripled or quadrupled his money. His so. Apple stock. Has he trimmed that down at all? No. Or no? no. Well, I mean, well, there's been splits. <laughs> yeah. And so he'll sell off 500 here, 1,000 there. like just. But, but no, he's a believer and it's worked out for him and good for him. I mean, yeah. there may be a day it doesn't. But the reality is I listened to him. Yep. And I recognize that it is ultimately his decision. And sometimes even if they go against what it is that you think, like at least establish the relationship. And then once they trust you more, maybe they do make a change of some sort, but initially always listen to everything they're saying. Yeah. So advice to newer advisors out there, build the relationship, get to know the client, feel free to say yes until there's a right time to say no. Right. For sure. (laughs) Because I mean, if a client calls you and they come up with some terrible idea and what's not going to go well for them, yeah, of course you're going to tell them no. But ultimately, if somebody worked their whole life for that money and they have really strong convictions about what it is and what to do with it, I mean, it's, it is their And money. you're probably not going to get them to change their mind, especially when you just meet them. Right, exactly. So exactly. Work, work on them. Take some time. Yep. The business. We were talking about going back into the business, Yeah. right? And it, it tickles you every once in a while. And obviously, it's been years. Do you see there's any chance? <laughs> Three years, five years from now, you go, you know what? I got my licenses. I got to reinstate them. Let's go. I would say that the probability of that is slightly greater than me remarrying my ex-wife. So probably not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. It's still greater, Yeah, but it's very small. Yeah. Uh, as I was sharing with you, I just got the notification that I could continue my license if I wanted to, but the window is really short it's by year end. Yeah. But I just don't think that I will because, yeah. like you said, when you and I knew each other back in those days, yep. you saw that I wasn't like starving for it it was just something that i it, you were it good was at my, it. it was my career yeah. i did, did a good job made money it was cool it wasn't your calling right and yeah. so for me to go back to it or the only reason that i didn't make changes earlier is how far back i would have gone income wise. you can't go from doing something for 10 15 20 years and getting to the point that you're at and then start fresh and get even close yeah so now i don't have that fear yeah and so that would be the only reason is if 
I, I needed to for money reasons, but I just don't see that ever being the case. So. And and that, and that that's good advice for advisors out there maybe that don't feel that love. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay to walk away. There is something else out there for you. You just might take a little bit to find it, but once you find it, you, you're you going to be a lot happier. No, for sure. And But, I mean, but dollars and cents don't lie. And so if you're making uh, $100 a year, I'll use stupid numbers, and your cost of living is 99 and a half, you can't make a change and suddenly make $50 a year. So yeah. be smart, be reasonable, but also be true to yourself. 100%. Uh, Adam, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do they reach you? Okay, so yes, please send donation dollars to the American Cancer Society, but contact me first if that's okay. So my email is my name, basically, Adam, A-D-A-M, Adam.Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, Adam.Schwartz at cancer.org. Easy enough. And my phone number, 561-212-5962. So connect with me because not only obviously would that help everybody, but I like to meet our donors in person. I mean, my job is to raise funds, but my passion is to make connection. And we have a lot of people local in Florida, but we have people outside of Florida that listen. They can still contact you? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm assigned a, a territory, if you will, which is where I'm supposed to be out and about. But if you're in California, Kansas, Africa, you can send me your information, make a donation, and I can help you with it. And we can help end cancer as we know it forever. Excellent. Adam, thank you so much. Pleasure to see you again. And I'm very happy for you. Thank you so much. It was great to see you. Absolutely. Hope everybody enjoys today's show. Uh, Of course, like, subscribe, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks so much.